This is Chapter 61 of Roughing It. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. Roughing It by Mark Twain. Chapter 61 One of my comrades there, another of those victims of eighteen years of unrequited toil and blighted hopes, was one of the gentlest spirits that ever bore its patient cross in a weary exile. Grave and simple Dick Baker, pocket-miner of Dead House Gulch. He was forty-six, gray as a rat, earnest, thoughtful, slenderly educated, slouchily dressed, and clay-soiled, but his heart was finer metal than any gold his shovel ever brought to light. Than any, indeed, that ever was mined or minted. Whenever he was out of luck and a little downhearted, he would fall to mourning over the loss of a wonderful cat he used to own, for where women and children are not, men of kindly impulses take up with pets, for they must love something, and he always spoke of the strange sagacity of that cat with the air of a man who believed in his secret heart that there was something human about it maybe even supernatural. I heard him talking about this animal once. He said, "'Gentlemen, I used to have a cat here by the name of Tom Quartz, which you'd a took an interest in, I reckon. Most anybody would. I had him here eight year, and he was the remarkablest cat I ever see. He was a large gray one of the Tom species, and he had more hard, natural sense than any man in this camp, and the power of dignity. He wouldn't let the governor of California be familiar with him. He never catched a rat in his life, appeared to be above it. He never cared for nothing but mining. He knowed more about mining, that cat did, than any man I ever, ever see. You couldn't tell him nothing about placer diggings, and as for pocket mining, why, he was just born for it. He would dig out after me and Jim when we went over the hills prospecting and he would trot along behind us for as much as five mile, if we went so fur. And he had the best judgment about mining ground. Why, you never see anything like it. When we went to work, he'd scatter a glance around, and if he didn't think much of the indications, he would give a look as much to say, Well, I'll have to get you to excuse me, and without another word, he'd heist his nose into the air and shove for home. But if the ground suited him, he would lay low and keep dark till the first pan was washed, and then he would sidle up and take a look, and if there was about six or seven grains of gold, he was satisfied. He didn't want no better prospect than that. And then he would lie down on our coats and snore like a steamboat, till we'd struck the pocket, and then get up and superintend. He was nearly lightning on superintending. Well, by and by, up comes this yer quartz excitement. Everybody was into it. Everybody was pickin' and blastin' instead of shovelin' dirt on the hillside. Everybody was puttin' down a shaft instead of scrapin' the surface. Nothin' would do, Jim, but we must tackle the ledges, too, and so we did. We commenced puttin' down a shaft, and Tom Quartz, he began to wonder what in the dickens it was all about. He hadn't ever seen any mining like that before, and he was all upset, as you may say. He couldn't come to a right understanding of it no way. It was too many for him. He was down on it, too, you bet you. He was down on it powerful, and always appeared to consider it the cussedest foolishness out. 
But that cat, you know, was always again new-fangled arrangements. Somehow he never could abide them. You know how it is with old habits. But by and by Tom Quartz begin to get sort of reconciled a little, though he never could altogether understand that eternal sinking of a shaft and never panning out anything. At last he got to coming down in the shaft himself to try to cipher it out. And when he'd get the blues and feel kind of scruffy and aggravated and disgusted, known as he did, that the bills was running up all the time and we weren't making a cent, he would curl up on a gunny sack in a corner and go to sleep. Well, one day when the shaft was down about eight foot, the rock got so hard that we had to put in a blast, the first blasting we'd ever done since Tom Quartz was born. And then we lit the fuse and clumb out and got off about fifty yards and forgot and left Tom Quartz sound asleep on the gunny sack. In about a minute we seen a puff of smoke burst up out of the hole, and then everything let go with an awful crash, and about four million ton of rocks and dirt and smoke and the splinters shot up about a mile and a half into the air, and by George, right in the dead center of it was old Tom Quartz, a-going end over end, and a-snorting and a-sneezing and a-clawing and a-reaching for things like all possessed. But it weren't no use, you know, it weren't no use and that was the last we see of him for about two minutes and a half. And then all of a sudden it began to rain rocks and rubbage, and directly he come down kerwop, about ten foot off where we stood. Well, I reckon he was perhaps the orniest-looking beast you ever see. One ear was sot back on his neck, and his tail was stove up, and his eye-winkers was swinged off, and he was all blacked up with powder and smoke, and all sloppy with mud and slush, from one end to the other. Well, sir, it weren't no use to try to apologize. We couldn't say a word. He took a sort of a disgusted look at himself, and then he looked at us, and it was just exactly the same as if he'd said, Gents, maybe you think it's smart to take advantage of a cat that ain't had no experience of quartz mining, but I think different. And then he turned on his heel and marched off home without ever saying another word. Well, that was just his style, and maybe you won't believe it. But after that you never see a cat so prejudiced again quartz mining as what he was. And by and by, when he did get to going down in the shaft again, you'd have been astonished at his sagacity. The minute we'd tetch off a blast and the fuse begin to sizzle, he'd give a look as much to say, Well, I'll have to get you to excuse me, and it was surprising the way he'd shin out of that hole and, and go for a tree. Sagacity? It ain't no name for it. Twas inspiration. I said, Well, Mr. Baker, his prejudice against quartz mining was remarkable, considering how he came by it. Couldn't you ever cure him of it? Cure him? No. When Tom Quartz was sought once, he was always sought. And you might have blowed him up as much as three million times, and you'd never have broken him of his cussed prejudice again quartz mining. The affection and the pride that lit up Baker's face when he delivered this tribute to the firmness of his humble friend of other days will always be a vivid memory with me. At the end of two months we had never struck a pocket. We had panned up and down the hillsides till they looked plowed like a field. We could have put in a crop of grain then, but there would have been no way to get it to market. We got many good prospects. But when the gold gave out in the pan, and we dug down, hoping and longing, we found only emptiness. 
the pocket that should have been there was as barren as our own at last we shouldered our pans and shovels and struck out over the hills to try new localities we prospected around angel's camp in calaveras county during three weeks but had no success then we wandered on foot among the mountains sleeping under the trees at night for the weather was mild but still we remained as scentless as the last rose of summer that is a poor joke but it is in pathetic harmony with the circumstances since we were so poor ourselves in accordance with the custom of the country our door had always stood open and our board welcome to tramping miners they drifted along nearly every day and jumped their paused shovel by the threshold and took potluck with us and now on our own tramp we never found cold hospitality our wanderings were wide and in many directions and now i could give the reader a vivid description of the big trees and the marvels of yosemite but what has this reader done to me that i should persecute him i will deliver him into the hands of less conscientious tourists and take his blessing let me be charitable though i fail in all virtues else Note, some of the phrases in the above are mining technicalities purely and may be a little obscure to the general reader in placer diggings the gold is scattered all through the surface dirt in pocket diggings it is concentrated in one little spot in quartz the gold is in a solid continuous vein of rock enclosed between distinct walls of some other kind of stone and this is the most laborious and expensive of all the different kinds of mining prospecting is hunting for a placer indications are signs of its presence panning out refers to the washing process by which the grains of gold are separated from the dirt a prospect is what one finds in the first panful of dirt and its value determines whether it is a good or a bad prospect and whether it is worth while to tarry there or seek further end of chapter sixty one